So our next speaker I'm really excited to uh, introduce is Dr. Henry Claussen, who we were lucky enough to recruit to come to UCI. He is a stem cell expert who's been working on retinal transplantation and stem cell for retinal transplantation for a long time. He and his co-collaborator, um, Mike Young at Harvard, have a large grant along with others to study stem cells in AMD. Dr. Klassen did some of his training at Harvard Medical School, he did a residency in ophthalmology at the Yale Eye Center. He received a PhD in neuroscience at the University of Pittsburgh and did a combined fellowship in medical retina and retinal transplantation at Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, probably the most famous retina service in the world, I think. And he's currently an assistant professor in the Department of Ophthalmology at UCI and the Gavin Herbert Eye Institute. Dr. Henry Clausen. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Tony. Um, as you heard, I'm going to talk about stem cells because that's what I do. And as a disclaimer, I'm in the retinal regeneration program, um, so there's going to be a slight bias there towards the retina, although I will <clears throat> try and address the cornea in passing. Um, so um, just to cut straight to retinal repair, um, and this probably applies to other conditions as well, um, there's some basic strategies um, that you have to consider if you're going to approach these kinds of diseases that are currently untreatable. One approach is to use advanced drug delivery. We already have drug delivery. We can take a pill. We can uh, put an eye drop in the eye. Uh, but for some of these conditions, you want to get a very high concentration of a powerful drug uh, to the tissue that's um, in disease state and if you just delivered this willy-nilly to the whole body, it might be dangerous. So we're looking to make very precise delivery of drugs. Um, one approach that we're looking into is biodegradable microspheres. These can be placed in the direct area of the disease, and they slowly liberate um, the, the types of uh, compounds. And then there's the idea of using a stem cell uh, genetically engineered to deliver particular types of drugs. These would be proteins. Um, and then the other approach is cell replacement. You're actually going to put a new cell into the body. Um, and here we're very much focused on stem cells as the cell that's going to make a new cell type in the body. And a more complicated approach is called tissue engineering, where you use stem cells again, but you also include uh, biodegradable polymers, much like we used up here, in combination on uh, polymer substrates, and then these are transplanted to the area to reproduce more complicated tissue types. Um, and one thing I did is highlight stem cells in this. So you, you see that for three out of the four um, approaches that we're using, stem cells play an important role, hence our interest in stem cells. Um, so what are stem cells? Well, that's a complicated story, but I've tried to boil it down to a very simple cartoon. Um, there are two fundamental properties to a stem cell. One is that they self-renew, and the other is that they generate mature cells. And this is illustrated in this little cartoon here. Here we have a stem cell. And stem cells, one of the very important things about a stem cell is they have to be capable of cell division. So they divide. And when they do, 
at least one of the progeny of this stem cell is another stem cell. That's really important because that means they've self-renewed. So they divide. One of them is still a stem cell and can make more cells. The other one is either another stem cell or it's a um, cell that will give rise to a mature cell and can replace cells in the body. So what you have here is a little cellular factory. So you have one cell that can basically make an entire body. And how this works is that it keeps renewing itself, and then during that process, it keeps putting out other types of cells, and these can be any of the cells of the body. Um, So theoretically, a stem cell can repair any part of the body, but again, that's our biological theory, and to get this to actually work will require quite a bit of research. Um, but there have been successes already. Um, and, but first I want to talk about uh, the fact that when you say stem cell, it may be one thing like I just showed you, but um, as a public viewer, you have to think about the possibility of how many stem cells there are because in the news, people will talk about this stem cell or that stem cell, and the fact is they're not exactly the same. Um, So here's just a brief overview of different types of stem cells. First and foremost, you have the embryonic stem cells. These are the true stem cells. No question these are stem cells, and these are the ones that can theoretically make any cell in the body. More recently, there has been progress where a skin stem cell is genetically engineered to turn into a pluripotent cell like an embryonic stem cell. This is what's called an IPS cell. You may or may not have heard about this, but this is the really exciting news recently. This was developed by Professor Yamanaka at Kyoto in Japan. So they can take anybody's skin cell, genetically alter it to make a new embryonic-type stem cell. And then there's adult stem cells you may have heard about. Now, these are really tissue-specific stem cells. They may or may not come from an adult, but the point is they're not an embryonic stem cell. Well, what's different about them? Uh, One is they may not be a true stem cell. They may function like a stem cell, but only in a restricted way. Um, So they have restricted potential. When we talked about all these tissues, they might make only one type of tissue. Um, and they're not from embryos, as I said. They're from tissues of a range of later ages. So it's adult, but it could be fetal all the way up to adult if you really get down to it. Um, and here's the types of tissues. That's just a, a gives you an idea of the different types of cells they can make. Um, we're particularly interested in a retinal progenitor cell that can only give rise to retina. So just, again, the take-home message, what's the difference between these two types of stem cells, these broad categories? Um, This shows you the development of a human. You start with a totipotent fertilized egg, and then it starts to become, it becomes an embryo, and it divides, and you have that little ball of cells. Eventually, you end up with a fetus and then a human. Um, If you start at this early stage, Well, I should just point out that this fertilized egg can obviously make an entire human being and a placenta to boot. So that means that one cell is capable of making all those cell types. Um, Once you get to this early embryo that's called a blastocyst, 
this is where you get the, quote, embryonic stem cells. So embryonic stem cells don't come from here. They come from this. That these cells, as you can see, are just a ball of cells. So obviously, each one of these has to be able to make a human because you can't tell the cells apart. So each one has the same capability. They're just in the stage where they're growing in size to the point where they can start to specialize later. And then if you get to a later stage, if you go to those tissues, they have stem cells inside of them. These are what we call adult stem cells, but they're already divided up into tissues. You know, you have a head, an eye, an arm, umbilical cord. So each of these tissues tends to be restricted to making the tissue where it comes from, as illustrated here. And here's just some photographs of these types of cells. Here's embryonic stem cells. That's not one cell. That's an entire colony of cells. And this is another colony here. These cells can make any cell in the body. Um, then to contrast, here are human retinal progenitor cells that we grow in the laboratory. These only make retinal cells. So the younger the stem cell, the earlier you go, the more it can do. So why would you ever want to use an adult stem cell when you have these embryonic stem cells available? Well, one is clinical efficacy. And the example I want to bring up is the blood stem cells. These have already been proven effective in the clinic, and they've basically replaced the uh, idea of bone marrow transplantation. Um, so that's a clinical success story. Um, embryonic stem cells, as you know, are still in development. Um, there are fewer non-scientific impediments. Um, you'll remember that embryonic stem cells um, ran into some difficulties in terms of funding in the prior administration. And then um, tissue-specific stem cells tend to be simpler and safer. Um, just for the simple reason they can't do everything, uh, sometimes that's good. For instance, if you're just interested in repairing a particular tissue, you don't want the possibility of making other tissues at the same time. That's just of no benefit at all. So the older the stem cell, the better it behaves. So in some ways, stem cells reflect uh, human development as well. Um, so now to get to the co uh, point of stem cells in the eye, um, we do have so stem cells related to the cornea, and these are called the limbal stem cells. These are from adults. They're tissue-specific. And in fact, they only make one type of cell, and that's the corneal epithelial cell. Now, they come from the, the white of the eye, and that means right around here. So you can see the white. They're not actually throughout that area of the white of the eye. They're just at the edge here. Um, and what these cells can do, normally they just sit there quietly, but if the front of your cornea gets scraped off, which has probably happened to most of us at one point or another, um, these cells wake up and they start dividing and they grow out onto the cornea and repair that defect. So every time the eye gets scraped, they're ready to go and they divide and they cover it back up and they heal your eye. So why these cells are being used clinically? Sometimes people get a burn, like an acid or alkali burn in the front of the eye, or there are a number of conditions where one eye can't grow new epithelium, and then your whole vision is compromised because um, you can't repair the front of the eye and make it nice and clear again. 
Um, in that case, you can actually take limbal stem cells, for instance, from the other eye, move them over here, and they'll just repair it. Um, and they'll sit there and they can continue to repair it and you're cured. Or in other cases, they can transplant these types of cells from one person to another. So that's a clinical success story. And again, it's an adult cell and it's um, already in use. Um, hopefully there'll be additional corneal related stem cells available in the future for repairing the stroma of the cornea or the endothelium and the back of the cornea. Um, but that's still in development. And then in terms of the retina, um, basically all the various stem cell types have been utilized in the laboratory, at least, in animal models to try and repair the retina with notable successes for all of these types. Um, and I'm going to focus on the retinal progenitor cell that I mentioned. So how to repair the retina. Our approach, as I said, is the retinal progenitor cell. These are a tissue-specific stem cell. They're from the developing retina. These are immature cells that are in the process of forming the retina. They're like a stem cell, but their self-renewal isn't permanent. They don't continually make more of themselves. They make more of themselves for a while, and then they stop doing it. So they're not a true stem cell. Um, and perhaps you know, we can speculate that maybe that's why the retina loses its ability to regenerate as you get older. Um, the stem cells stop dividing. Um, but if you get them early enough, they do divide, and then they can be transplanted. Um, and when they are transplanted, they'll migrate into the tissue, integrate into the tissue, and differentiate into retinal cell types. And these are some retinal progenitor cells um, growing in a dish. Now, we work with fluorescent stem cells, and the reason we do that is that they're easier to track after you transplant them. If you think about a cell that after transplantation integrates in the tissue, how are you ever going to find it again? How are you going to know what you've accomplished? Um, and to do that, we have, use cells that are uh, tagged with fluorescent proteins. And where do you get these? Well, there are animals that are transgenic for jellyfish proteins, and these Animals basically glow in the dark. Um, now, they don't glow unless you illuminate them with a particular type of light source. Um, but when you do that, you can see, for instance, colorful mice. You can see a green pig and a red cat. Um, and these are a great source for fluorescent stem cells. Now, I'm going to start with mice and go to pigs and cats and then finally touch on humans. Um, Here's an example of some green mice. You can grow the retinal progenitor cells in a dish. See how they're growing. So they are self-renewing at this early stage. Um, and then we can do a molecular analysis. And so I just point that out. It's how we know that they're stem cells and how we categorize how they're doing under the different culture conditions. And um, I just want to point out that retinal progenitor cells are the cells that normally make retina, and that's why we pick these particular type of stem cells, because we know that these cells know how to make a retina. So here we're taking the green mouse uh, retinal progenitor cells. We're transplanting them to the retina of blind mice and see what they do. 
And the question is, can you spot the green fluorescent cells? Well, it's pretty easy, right? So that's why we use these fluorescent stem cells, so we can find them. And here you see some cells that have differentiated in the retina, and they look like retinal bipolar cells. And this looks like a photoreceptor, and this looks like a cluster of photoreceptors, and they're in the right place, and they have the right configuration. And um, so we want to know if they uh, do the right kinds of things. So to test uh, blind mice um, is a little different, difficult. You can't get them to read an eye chart, so how do you know if the animal can see any better? Well, um, anybody who's had a hamster knows that the, those little guys like to run on a wheel in the dark, and they'll wake you up every night. And then if you go in there and turn the light on, they stop running and they look very innocent. And then you turn off the light and go back and they start running again. So that's the basis of our test. So we just hook up the running wheel to the computer and the light source, and we have a program that turns on the light and checks the running wheel to see if the animal saw the light or not. And if it saw the light, it stops running. And if it didn't see the light, it'll just keep running again. And so we can use different levels of light intensity to probe and ask the question, how sensitive is this animal to light? And that gives us relative sense of how well the animal can see. And basically, what we found is that the transplanted animals could see better than animals that had a, a sham surgery. So our stem cells were doing something to help these animals see and detect light. Another thing we discovered in passing is that these cells survive very well in the mice, even though we didn't use any immune suppression. Now, you know if you get a kidney transplant or a heart transplant, you also have to get a drug that stops your body from rejecting the transplant. Um, and that's very important. But those drugs are somewhat toxic. So if we could get away with not using that drug, wouldn't that be great? Well, it turns out that this type of cell can survive for extended periods of time uh, without any immune suppression, at least in the mice. So that was a positive result for us. And since then, in all our work, we have never used immune suppression, uh, except for one example that I'll show at the end. So now we move to the pigs. You start with a green pig, and you can grow all kinds of green stem cells and then do the molecular analysis again and then transplant these um, as was highlighted in the National Geographic a couple of years ago. And again, we see transplanted uh, green pigs' retinal progenitor cells are capable of making photoreceptors that express rhodopsin, the famous uh, protein that detects light, and another, uh, can't see that too well, recoverin, um, another photoreceptor protein, indicating that these cells are making photoreceptors in the pig eye. And again, no immunosuppression was needed, even in a pig. Here's the cat. This was um, made the papers. There was big excitement um, that they had a red cat in Korea. So um, I emailed the professor, Kong, and said, well, you know, maybe we can use this for scientific purposes. Here we have one of these little animals. They don't look very red under room light, but if you just turn off the light here, and use a, a black light, basically UV illumination, 
you can see that although the fur isn't red, the skin is red, and you can see it through the fur, especially true on the ears and the nose. But um, these animals are quite happy, and they can actually see very well. For instance, uh, I did this with a green laser pointer, and the animals were chasing it like it was a little bug. So we can get cells from these cats. They're red, um, and we can do the molecular analysis to, to convince ourselves they're the, the cell we're looking for. Um, we've done transplantation with these cells. I'm just showing you here some examples of transplantation into blind cats. Um, Professor Narfstrom in Missouri has a colony of these blind cats. They're Abyssinians. They probably date back to ancient Egypt. And I'm really curious to find out if um, those mummified cats, actually, if we can find out whether some of these were blind or not, because this gene that makes them blind seems to have been around for quite some time, thousands of years. Um, but we might be able to help these cats by transplanting the stem cells. This is a look at their retina. This is where a transplant is. And then we can see the cells are integrating into the retina in various uh, ways. This early work was with some brain progenitors, but recently we transplanted the red cat retinal progenitors, and that's where we're really hoping to see some good results. And so Professor Narfstrom has her little um, electrophysiology apparatus, so um, she can get the cats to sit there, and we can flash the lights and detect the, the reading from the retina and see if uh, things are improving back there. So we're really excited to find out about that. And now we get to the human retinal progenitor cells. Um, they look very much the same as the other ones growing in a dish. We can do the molecular analysis, and yes, in fact, we find out that although there are some differences between species, in general, it's a very similar cell type. And now there has been some transplantation data. And so here's the one case where immunosuppression was used. Because we're transplanting into mice, human cells, that's a really um, heavy incompatibility between one species and another. So to get these cells to survive, um, we used mice that had no immune system. So these were skid mice. They're like the bubble baby. They don't really have an immune system. Um, that means we can transplant the cells to these animals um, and expect them to survive, and indeed they do. So the human cells here are in green. This is the, the mouse's retina, and you can see these cells are, are making photoreceptors with rhodopsin here at the end of them, um, and they're integrating into the uh, outer retina right where they're supposed to be. Um, in these types of mice, not only is there no immune system, but the retina degenerates. So these are, these are skid blind mice. Um, but uh, now we're working on the electrophysiology to, to make sure these cells can function. Uh, meanwhile, some groups in China have been transplanting similar cells into humans. Um, this work is from the Peking University uh, Third Hospital Medical Center. And in this case, um, I have some photographs that they kindly provided to me. And here you see the cells that were injected just into the jelly of the eye in patients with optic nerve problems. And the reason I want to show you is that these cells here, 10 weeks later, uh, are making little neurospheres, as we expect, but they're not 
developing into tumors. And more importantly, these cells were given without immune suppression. There was immune suppression, I found out, for the first couple days. But afterwards, the cells were just left to their own devices. Now, if these cells were going to be rejected, I would expect that after 10 weeks they would be. But here we see that they're surviving. And this is a, a quiet eye without inflammation and no signs of rejection. So, so far, it looks like the human cells um, are going to behave similar to what we've seen in the animals, which would be very good news. So the diseases we're looking at are primarily retinal degenerations as our first emphasis. And of these, we're particularly interested in retinitis pigmentosa because it's, it's a kind of dismal condition um, that might respond very well to this treatment, and it represents a really good place to start. We're also interested in age-related macular degeneration. That's a more common but more complicated scenario, but also this uh, therapy could be beneficial there. Um, we think it might um, be useful in certain cases of retinal detachment, situations where you can get the retina, reattach the eye, but the photoreceptors are lost, so the vision isn't good. Well, that's what we're good at is replacing the photoreceptors. And then in the case of optic nerve degenerations like glaucoma and other optic nerve problems, if the cells are in trouble but they haven't died yet, then we think we can use these cells to deliver growth factors that will help preserve the retinal ganglion cells and keep the retina alive and preserve vision. So finally, I'd like to uh, acknowledge um, the many coworkers who have contributed to this, this field of research over the years, uh, both at UC Irvine um, and at other schools um, throughout the country and indeed throughout the world. Thank you. Oh, yeah. How close are we to doing a retina transplant the way we do other types of transplants? Um, that's a tough question. I would say that there are people already doing transplants to the retina in clinic, although that work is a little bit um, difficult to interpret because um, they don't take out the old retina. They just put another one in there. So you seem to have some duplication of cells. So having said that, I think in terms of the tissue engineering strategy I mentioned as the fourth out of four strategies, the idea of transplanting at least part of a retina or at least several layers of retina, whether you make it or whether you harvest it, um, I think that's, that's coming down the road, but it's, a, it's definitely a number of years away. Um, but in terms of transplanting the entire retina, there's a problem, and that is you have to reestablish the optic nerve, which is the connection between the retina and the brain. And that's, a, that's an immense hurdle and not something that's uh, going to happen anytime soon. One more question. Can um, umbilical cord stem cells be used um, for this kind of work? Some people have done that. Um, I think that the, the cells that are already in the direction of making uh, retina are going to be closer to the clinic. 
Um, so cells like I'm showing you. Remember, umbilical cord blood cells, although they're not from an adult, they're, they're more like an adult-type stem cell, and by that we mean tissue-specific. So umbilical cord cells are designed to make blood. So if you want those cells to make retina, you really have to change the direction uh, in which they're, they're uh, making their little baby cells. So um, although that may be possible, I'd say that involves a, a fate switch, um, and it's going to be more complicated. Do you want to just tell the people about CIRM real quickly? What CIRM oh. is? Oh, CIRM. So uh, you'll remember there was a proposition some years ago to try and fund uh, stem cell research in California uh, directly without going through the federal government. Um, that was in response to uh, the fact that NIH, the government funding agency, was being limited in terms of how it could spend funds on stem cells. So that proposition passed. There's now the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine, often referred to as CIRM, and they're, they are in the process now of providing grants for stem cell uh, work in this, uh, in this state and we've been working with them, as well as uh, various institutions in the state are actively uh, building stem cell centers and recruiting people and moving ahead with stem cell research. Thank you, Henry.